0: and your love for others would be seen and heard. If you haven't been welcomed yet, just want to welcome you and uh, share with you my name. If you're a guest, my name is Mike Newman, and I have the privilege of just sharing God's word with you this morning. Um, for the last nine weeks. We've been studying the solas of the Reformation, the onlys. And we have been delighting in the gospel together. Um, I don't know about you, but this has really encouraged me. And I think it has strengthened our church to allow our roots to go deeper and to stretch us even in matters of understanding church history. Um, When you think of the Reformation, um, I hope that after nine weeks and then after this week, you won't view that as just like some event in history that happened, and um, ah, we don't need to revisit that anymore. But that you would remember that word Reformation, and have it be your prayer every day, Lord. I still need reforming. I still need to be reformed, shaped, and formed to the Scriptures, Lord. Would you allow Your Holy Spirit to shape? and form me back to yourself according to your will and by, um, by your great power. And so um, just before we start, can I just pray one more time and just have our hearts be ready to receive God's word. Let's just pray one more time. So, Lord, uh, that is our prayer now as we enter into um, a time when we receive your word. Would you reform us? Lord, wherever we've been uh, this week, not just uh, physically, but um, especially in our relationship with you and others, would you, by your power, because yours is the kingdom and yours is the power and yours is the glory, we ask that you would reform and shape us to see the things that you want us to see, to hear what you want us to hear We're before you now, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the last sola is Soli Deo Gloria, which means God alone the glory. So that's the title of our message, God alone the glory, and that's our prayer. Um, if um, you're taking notes or if you think more in like type A um, thoughts, there's going to be three questions that we ask today, let me just give them to you first and foremost, okay? The three questions we're going to ask is, what is God's glory? If we're saying, to God alone be the glory, we're just going to say, what is that again? Uh, The second question is, what does it mean to live for God's glory? So, okay, great, we understand it. How does that impact my life? And then uh, the last question is essentially, what does that look like? does it look like to live for God's glory? And um, um, different than maybe the first nine sermons, this one is going to be lots of examples, illustrations, stories of people, um, both from history and from this week, that live for God's glory. So let's start with our first one. If you would, turn to the book of Isaiah with me. The first question is, what is God's glory? We're going to get our answer from the book of Isaiah, chapter six. Already the Lord's been working in this service. Zane read from Revelation about the holiness of God. Joe and Becca led us in a song holy, 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 singing about his holiness. And now we're gonna we're gonna witness Isaiah and how the the the, the curtains were drawn back. And Isaiah saw God himself and his response and the angel's response. This is the word of the Lord. Here's Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up. We'll stop there. Look at the first part of our passage today. Isaiah says that he saw the Lord. Let that sink in. I have uh, been teaching this passage for a number of years. And every time I teach it, um, I think I'll do this for the rest of, of my life. And so, so I, I'd just like to welcome you guys into this Continual rhythm of the Isaiah 6 passage, okay? This is what I think Isaiah's face looked like when he saw God. You ready? This is, this is not meant to be a joke, but it is meant to, like, share with you the, the tremendous gravity of the situation. Just so you, you get a little bit pricked at, at what is happening here. This is what I think Isaiah's face looked like. It's a guess, but I think it was probably something like that. When he saw God, he looked at him. When he saw the, the, the Alpha and Omega who has no beginning or end. when he saw God who does not have a body like us, but is spirit. Who is the everlasting, who is amazing. There's four descriptions that he uses of what he saw. Look at it with me. He sees God sitting. That's one of them. He sees him upon the throne. He sees God high. And then he also says, the scripture is there for you, that he was high and lifted up. Do you see that? And then he was wearing this robe that evidently filled the temple. This was the the picture that, that Isaiah is giving us of what he saw. And there's more to it. So he's high. He's lifted up. He has this robe on that's filling the temple. He's... He's, he's seated down. And then he says there's these, these angels, what we know them, but he uses the term seraphim, right? Seraphim in the original language means hot, large, burning ones. So don't like picture this like cute little painting. It's these massive fireballs that have figures. And they have wings. Six of them. And only two of them are used for flight. You see, four other four others are used to to cover face, two of them up here, and two of them to cover their feet. And they're, they're, they're covering themselves, evidently, because it's so bright. So they've got wings for flight, and then four wings for the bright. And they're shouting to one another. That evidently, what they can't see, but what they're experiencing, so they have to cover their face. They're they have to share with other angels, and so they're like looking at each other and they're talking about what's in front of them, although they can't like quite peek around because it's so bright. Which should be a great side note. Like, take your cues from that with regards to just walking with God, experiencing Him, evangelism, discipleship. You talk about and share with others that which you love and experience. And so these angels, these burning ones, have got to talk about what's going on. And so they're shouting to one another. Okay? Don't picture this cute little boy choir heaven experience with perfect harmonies and like this clean little... I mean, these are burning beans talking with one another. What are they saying? What's their tone? You want to hear what angelic language sounds like? It sounds like this. In Hebrew, uh, the word for holy is kadosh. And the original writers, they don't do this all the time, but they put the the, the word kadosh, holy, and then they included a dash mark for the reader, um, either publicly or privately, to pause. So the, the tone of the angels, when they're like yelling to each other, check this out, wasn't this? It wasn't like this, ready? Holy, 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 the Lord's filled with His glory. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy. It, that wasn't it. It was this covering, covering, flying. Holy, pause. Holy, pause. Holy. They're so completely enamored with God's holiness his brightness his his brilliance the beauty and majesty the very like majestic perfection of our God his intrinsic worth they are so caught up with him that they speak something and they got to catch their breath because he's so what are the words our words are so Insufficient to what they're experiencing. And then they don't stop. They, they say one more thing. They say that the whole earth is filled with what we're trying to cover our faces and our feet with. The whole earth is covered with his glory. It fills it. And so we can, we can take from this passage what we're learning is that evidently, Something coming from our God and it in and its and in it's, its seen in other places around the earth. And so while they can't see the Lord because of his brightness, they can see the effects of our God all over the place. So much so that they can say the earth is, is filled with it. And so there's this strange complexity where you can't see the glory of God, but with the naked eye, you can see his glory that has reverberated out from him. Are you capturing this image? Are you with me? Um, a pastor in the 1700s named Jonathan Edwards wrote this about the glory of God. Let me read it for you. It says, all that is ever spoken of in the scripture As an ultimate end of God's works is included in that one phrase, the glory of God. The beams of glory come out from God and are something of God and are refunded back again to their original. So that the whole is of God and in God and to God and God is the beginning, middle, End end in this affair. And so it's quite the quote, isn't it? A man just captured by his glory. And so these beams, these, this, this glory, this this light that comes from God, it it's meant to somehow come back to him. Back to the source. And so the question is, well, how can I get in on that action? How can, I, how can I take part in that cyclical work where it comes from God and somehow it returns to him? How do, how do I do that? I'd like, I'd like to take part in that. And so that's the second question. What does it mean to live for God's glory alone? So I'd like to share with you two passages from the New Testament now. So if you would, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 and 20. Two passages that we'll touch on just a little bit. The other is Romans 12, 1. But let's start with 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. I'll give you a little time to get there. The emphasis of these two words, we're going to especially answer it with with there's something having to do with your body. How do I get in on that process of of returning the glory, the light, those beams that come from God back to him? The New Testament's going to say something about your body. Here we go. Chapter 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. And here's the conclusion here. Ready? So glorify, return that light, those beams, back to the source. How do you do that? Therefore, glorify God in your body. So let's just look at this passage a little bit with critical eyes, okay? So there's two major actions of God going on here in this verse. Look at it with me. Paul's taking, uh, talking to the uh, Corinthian church. And this church was wandering from the truth. They were forgetting uh, what God was like and how to live for God. Um, this particular passage deals with sexual immorality. They were just way off in their belief and thinking, thinking things like, you know what, God made the stomach uh, for... And so like, what do you do when you're hungry? You feed it with food. And so if you have a body and God made the body, then what do you do with its natural desires? Will you feed those desires? And Paul goes, no, that's, that's not, that's, that leads to evilness. That leads to sexual immorality. You can't just do whatever you want with your body. Actually, you were given your body to give God glory. And so the first action that God did with you, with all of you, not just your heart, but like with your actual body, heart, soul, my, everything you are, is he bought you. You see that there? It says he bought you with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. So it's... That's like that's a celebration of our gospel, right? That that we, we 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 share our gospel as God and man and Christ and our response. First God, that God is high, he's holy, he's seated on the throne, he's lifted up, he's untouchable. You can't draw near him, you can't be casual. He is like so far and distant from us who are so lowly. There's God, there's man, we were born in, our, in our tre- dead in our tresp- trespasses and sins. We were like followers of the evil one. We had no desire. Nothing in our hearts, minds, affections wanted the Lord. We chose the path of destruction away from Him. But God, in Ephes- Ephesians 2 says. So you've got God. you got man lowly. And you got Christ. Christ who loved us. Who set his affections upon us, came to earth, died on the cross for our sins, rose again so that we would have life, satisfied the wrath of God, who was who, who like required to, to like deal with our sins. All other religions, the God that they describe is like God doesn't deal with sins. He just kind of says, eh, here's good, here's bad. And if you did. More good than bad. Come on in. And what are we going to do with the bad? I don't know. Nothing. There's no system to pay for sin. But God sends His Son to pay for it. So that you and I could know God. And that is, that's is—that's the truth of Christianity. That's our Gospel. It's beautiful. It's a substitutionary Gospel where we deserve something. And He said, I'm going to send a sub in. I'm, Christ is going to pay for your sins. And that leaves us in this state not of just like, well, cool. Everyone's a Christian? No. No, that there is a response required from us that we must repent of our sin and place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There's all these complexities within conversion salvation, but we know this to be true. Ready? That there is responsibility for mankind to respond. You must respond if you don't know God. And if you just heard the gospel, which you just did, you must respond to it. And if you walk out of here going... Thanks, nice. But never respond. Please know that that is a decision. But the response must be, I am not holy and I need Christ to make me holy so that I can know God and be with him forever. No response is a response. Look at the second action of this verse in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. It says you were given the holy spirit whom you have from God. And so both of these actions just to bring up the historical nature of this series both of these actions where God purchases man with his son Jesus and he gives man his holy spirit once believe once once he believes both of these questions were the were the where the battlegrounds were happening during the Reformation. The question was, from what source is salvation? That was the question. And the Roman Catholic Church was saying, it's kind of complicated, it's God's idea, but you have to cooperate with Him, and then we'll see. Then we'll see at the end of your life, if you cooperated good enough or bad enough, but it is at the height of arrogancy to say that I have assurance of salvation. And the source is also Mary, your co-redeemer, which we said last week. Which which we brought up that the Roman Catholic Church said last week, just to be clear. <laughs> and the Reformation said, as we see it in the scriptures. Who gets the glory if we say anything else? It must be God alone. If we say anything else, man will get the glory. What we see here is that the source of our salvation is God. So what about us then? If God is high, lifted up, man is lowly, if he purchased people with his own son for his own possession and we respond to him, how then as believers now, do we glorify God? This should occupy our minds and our hearts. This should be the driving question of every day that we live. How do we do that? And I think we'll just start by saying this, it starts with a decision. It starts with a resolve like a filter or a lens by which you see everything else where you make all your decisions where you have where where all your conversations are impacted by this driving question where all your finances come under this your career your free time your investments your the size of your home your marriage your parenting your friendships your church involvement ministry commitments all, everything falls under this question, how do I glorify God? Will I? Won't I? And how do I do it? And it starts with this phrase found in this verse here. Ready? You are not your own. That convictional belief, if you Die to yourself and lay down your life to the fact that you are not your own. It's a great place to start. You don't have to know how to do everything. You don't have to be the most equipped person in the world. God uses the person that says, I don't know much. I just know that my life is not my own. I've got my days counted and I'm going to live for him. And so what do I do next, Lord? That's the kind of person that God uses. Let me read a poem to you, okay? This is by William Ernest Henley, and it's called Invictus. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstances, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. Listen up, watch this. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul, and all God's people said, "What? Nu-uh. that's that's not at all in line with what we just read." First Corinthians six: I am not my own; <laughs> I was bought with. I'm not the I'm not the master of my fate. That is not. My mindset now, I used to be like that. I used to have that mindset. I used to think that everything happened as a result of what I, 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 I thought and did because of my accomplishments and my giftings and my skill sets. But when I came to Christ, I said, I got a new master now. It's not. It's actually not me. It's you, Lord. You're my master. And therefore, who am I? Yeah. I'm your slave I am shackled to you and this is such a freeing thing you're my captain now and I want to live for you I'm gonna serve you Uh, still though if you are uh, tracking with this line of thought you're probably still wondering so how how do I glorify him then Newman you said something about body. There's a 1 Corinthians verse that you use. Okay. He bought us. Therefore, glorified. how do I do that still? Let's, let's keep studying it. Okay. Go to Romans 12. Romans 12. This one, many of us have memorized. This is a great verse. If you're looking for like a life verse or like, man, I'd love to memorize a verse this week. This would be a great one for you to study and memorize. I'll start reading it as you guys get there. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your, and if you're anticipating uh, the next word, what would it be? You're just looking up here. Yeah, your, that's right, your bodies. Interesting. New Testament gives this emphasis. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice, as the living one, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. All right, so there it is. Our Lord uh, doesn't just like stand in the clouds. He's not just some ethereal God and says, I want you to glorify me and figure that out, my children or something. He, He helps us understand what that looks like. And so he gives special emphasis to say, take your body and offer it daily for me. What does that mean in modern-day language? It means take your body and show up. <laughs> like, keep showing up. Like that's, that's not an encouragement to just be a shell of a man or a woman and just be there in body. But we know that oftentimes as we obey with our bodies, our feelings and everything seems to follow. To be present with your body is something where God goes, I'll take that. I like that. That guy, he doesn't know what he's doing, he doesn't know much at all, actually. But he he's not gifted at all. He keeps showing up with his body, and he he wants to be. I'm gonna use that guy. I'm gonna use that girl. It's this decision that starts here in the heart and and allows or causes the body to follow. Okay, so what does that look like? Here come, that is the last question, what does that look like? Here comes a whole bunch of stories. The first one is long, all right? Here's a historical one. I'm going to tell you about Count Nicholas Ludwig von von Zinzendorf. There it is okay i got it out our our friend the german here we go this is a guy born in the 1700s okay when he was 27 okay this guy in his church in his local fellowship he was like i kind of want to be used by god i i wanna i want to like the angels say and experience that the whole earth is filled with his glory. I don't know what to do, but how about we start praying? This guy, this Count, Count Zinzendorf goes, Hey, church, how about we start praying around the clock for the whole earth to experience the glory of God? How about we, uh, instead of like just having, uh, you know, a, a little prayer meeting, let's have like this go around the clock. Let's would you commit to praying an hour every day? And I'm gonna just like set up a whole bunch of people and to, to cover times and let's start this burning flame that will never go out. Okay. And so his church said, I think that's a good idea. And we are not just gonna like follow that, we're gonna convictionally believe that God is gonna use prayer to fill the earth with his glory. This church had a prayer watch, it was called, for, anyone have a guess? A hundred years of unbroken prayer for missions. A hundred years of praying to the Lord. And asking him to fill the world with his glory. There was about 300 persons in the community at the beginning. And they covenanted with one another to pray for it to cover the 24 hours in a day. Catch this. 65 years into it, the, the lamp of the prayer still burning, okay? Um, 300 missionaries were sent out. Um, to unreached people groups in the West Indies, Greenland, Lapland. Anyone know where that is? Turkey and North America. This small church prayed and God's glory was seen and heard and experienced all over the earth. It came back to him. The, this community, um, um, widely Um, known as the Moravian Church, was really unmatched, unparalleled with regards to their missionary zeal. Um, There's a story in there, um, I've shared it one other time before, um, that has two missionaries, two Moravian missionaries, hearing about this island um, in the West Indies. And it was governed by this atheist British owner, and there was two to three thousand slaves uh, on this particular island. Um, the The British slave owner was adamant, saying, "No churches planted here, no missionaries. I don't want any talk of God. No one can come in here in the name of Jesus. I don't want any like vocational pastors. No one." And so these two men um, prayed, prayed, prayed. They were burdened by the Lord. And they said, you know what? We need to go. And so they sold themselves into slavery so that these people, these slaves, would hear the gospel. 3,000 slaves, as a result, heard the gospel. And these two young Germans, as a result of being willing, they didn't have everything figured out, but they sold themselves into slavery. As a result, the whole island heard the gospel, and many came to Christ. Can you imagine um, being on the shore, waving goodbye to your son or daughter? Just put yourselves in those moms and dads, brothers and sisters' shoes, right? Um, moms and dads, maybe you have hopes and dreams for your kids, right? Oh, I want to be a grandchildren. I want to be a grandpa or a grandma one day. You know, I want them to be this wonderful plumber. I want this to, I want them to grow up to be this wonderful doctor. I have so many. I hope that they get married and they have this and that and college and all dreams. Can you imagine saying goodbye to your son? And your dreams being broken, but the greatest dream being fulfilled, that they are living for Christ and giving glory and honor to him. And one day you'll see them in eternity. These missionaries were especially known for packing up all their belongings, not in suitcases, but in a wooden box. Because they knew wherever they were going, their life was going to be there. And they were willing to die there and be buried there. Imagine saying, see a sweetheart with him standing in his casket. The missionary movement was especially started by the Moravian church with prayer. And with these two men shouting from the shoreline, this lamb. This, this quote, it said, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. That was their, that was their longing. That was their prayer. And it became this anthem, this theme throughout the, the Moravian Missionary Alliance, that they were going to give God the glory. And they wanted the lamb to receive all of that glory as a result of his suffering. There was going to be a reward from his suffering and it was going to be his people giving back the glory that he deserved. To summarize it, they presented their bodies as a living sacrifice and God loved it. Let's do next story, but let me just pause for a sec. It is easy to um, to be sitting and to hear a story like that and go, "Whoa, that's inspirational." That I, I, I don't have a box to put that in. I don't know what to do with that, Newman. Like, I am a wife. I've got three kids. What are you saying? Are you calling me to to leave my responsibilities of being a wife and a mother? And um, and just go to the West Indies. How do I glorify God as a father, of a mother, you know, as a mother, as a as a student, as a grandma, as a grandpa? Am I supposed to do this? Well, the Moravian Missionary Society especially put emphasis on men and women in the workforce. Doing the mundane things in their life and glorifying God in and through it. In the everyday conversations, over the cubicle. As you're pushing the broom, hanging the laundry back then, doing the mundane things of life. And so here's another example of a woman who glorified God. Here's how it could play out. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to sell yourself into slavery and get shipped off with your own casket. This is the story of Susanna Spurgeon. This is the wife of Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers ever, ever lived. Born 1832, died 1903, and she spent the majority of her marriage to Charles, get this, on a couch suffering from sickness and extreme fatigue. She was experiencing um, some tremendous physical hardships, heavy bleeding and extreme fatigue, and uh, she had surgery in her 30s and really never recovered from it. So how does someone glorify God on the couch, right? Does that mean... That God has said, you're on the couch now, and that proverbially is the bench in athletic terms. And we'll let other people serve the Lord, but you just sit down. Is that what that means? Her husband, Charles, wrote a book called Lectures to My Students and had the heart to help pastors. And there's so many pastors without any sort of tools to feed the congregation. They needed help. So he wrote a book, and his heart's desire was, I just... I just wrote this book. I wish that pastors could have it in their hands. And she took that on as her life mission. And from the couch said, I, I, I'm going I'm to see if the Lord would have me do that. By the time of her death, 200,000 theological books had been distributed to needy pastors from Mrs. Spurgeon. From her couch how did the it's called the book fund uh, how did this book fund start she looked around and she said i think i got a hundred bucks i'll throw it in there and she started the book fund with her own money hundred bucks was a lot of a lot of a lot of dough back then she wrote several books of her own uh, starting with 10 years of my life in the service of the book fund and she co-edited a whole bunch of other ones But one author summarized her life like this. Ready? They call her Susie in this this passage. Susie was committed to labor for the glory of God, the good of many, and the promotion of her husband's legacy. As a person experiencing the glory of God, seeing the beams, seeing the light come out and going, how do I get involved in that process of getting it back to him? Whatever I, I, he bought me, I'm going to use whatever I have for his sake. Here, here's my body, even though it's on the couch. But um, hey, th- those are two, two examples from history books. Um, as I was just preparing to feed God's people, God's word this morning, um, this week, I was like, you know what? I really don't have to look that far. I see so Many opportunities happening in and amongst our church. And so let me just share with you a few. Um, A few that I saw this week. And as a result, it was so good for my heart to see um, God working in such great ways in and among us. All right. So here's the first one. I was talking on the phone this week with a fellow um, friend, uh, husband, father, co-worker. He said, hey, Mike, uh, would you pray? Pray pray for me. I have been sharing uh, my faith with my friend. Um, He wants to leave his wife. I just don't think that glorifies God. And so I'm witnessing to him. Here's the verse that I was thinking I'd share with him. What do you think? He shared with me, James 1.12. I'll read it for you. You don't have to go there. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This is a man who's working, who's got a wife, who's got kids, and who is pleading. He's trusting the Lord and asking the Lord to save his old high school buddy who lives elsewhere. That is so glorifying to God. This week in our church, I saw a couple laboring for other people, but especially someone who is hurting and they're giving their lives for them. And this couple that was receiving the ministry, even though it was hard at times and they're working through things, they knew that they needed it and wanted it. And so they were being ministered to spiritually. And so they showed up with a meal and they ministered back to them physically and God was so glorified in the process this week I saw a busy mom take out a high school girl even though she was crazy, she had a schedule like as long as whatever you would want to say and she bought her a smoothie and sat down and asked her for an hour and a half intentional questions about her life And in no way brought it back to herself during that hour and a half. She wanted God to get all the glory. It wasn't about her. And so she's like, and so how are you doing? And how can I pray for you? And what are the ways I can serve you? This busy mom ministering to a different person's, like a different family. It's like, how unselfish is that? It's amazing. Who would do that? Someone who loves God. And loves His glory and wants His glory returned back to Him. I I was on a bike ride this week and I saw two believers walking with trash sacks. What are they doing? They're picking up trash. So I saw them with empty trash sacks. And on the way back, I saw them with full trash sacks. Because God loves beauty. And so they were, they were taking care of the earth. And as a result, when I was riding home, I just saw green. And not just like water bottles and nastiness. It was like, they care about God's glory. This isn't some green message, but I think you get what I'm, I'm saying. This week I saw an employee at the Y come up to me because there was a junior high student who came up to her and her, she had a niece that got cancer, and, her, and their lives are totally, like, tanked. They're just a wreck right now. But she said, you know, there was this girl who came up to me and prayed for me, and I just want to say I was so blessed by that. Hey, students, you can be used by God in your life. You don't have to wait till you're a mom or dad. This woman was so blessed in her pain by a seventh grader praying for her. There are so many more that I could include. You guys are doing a great job glorifying God with your life. You're doing the hard things. You're delighting in him. You're obeying him. Church, excel still more. So that God alone gets the glory. Can I lift up two more examples and then we'll close our time together? One is about a whole church doing this thing called God Alone Gets the Glory. And one is about the ultimate example, Jesus Christ. Okay, So um, we didn't quite talk about this, but uh, Pastor Will and your sweet bride, can we pray for you guys? Okay. So this is Pastor Will. What's your name? Alyssa. Okay. And Alyssa. Um, So there are guests among us. They are planting a church in Dayton um, come Easter of 2024. This church in Dayton, membership of about 100. Yes. We spoke on the phone this week, and they've been praying about it as a church, and they'd like to plant a church in the YMCA. Isn't that great? Yes. And so uh, Will called us and said, hey, can we talk about what what this looks like? And uh, through just a series of texts and phone calls, um, he's here. And witnessing what it's like ministering at a YMCA, and I bet this one is going to look a little bit different than Huber Heights. Fun side note: Bucky's is building uh, um, in Huber Heights as well, which is a wonderful place. So God must be getting a whole lot of glory in Huber Heights. Um, let me tell you the story about their church, though. 100 members. They would like to plant a church, and they would like to send 20 to 40 people to plant this church. I'm not a math guy, but when you got 100, it's really easy to talk about percentages. 40% of your church to send away and plant. That's a whole church being committed not to their own empire, but to God's glory alone. If 40% go, um, what does that mean for the 60%? They're gonna step up, won't they? It's gonna be costly. Spreading God's glory is sacrificial. It's not easy, but it's the greatest thing you could ever do with your life. It's the greatest journey you could ever enter into. So I'd like to just pause and and pray for you guys. Do you, would you feel comfortable just coming on up? Would that be okay? Won't you come on up and? Um, we, we like to just kind of extend a hand here just to share an affirmation of what you're, what you're doing and where you're going. Um, this is just a solid couple, and we're excited about them, and I think we should become good friends. Okay, let's do it. Let's pray for them, okay? Let's just raise a hand. So, Lord, we love you. We love your glory, and we're excited about it filling the whole earth. And we're also excited to see that there's some specificity to that, not just um, in Mainville, not just in classrooms or at work, but now we get to see it's it's going to go to Huber Heights. Lord, would you strengthen this couple for your glory? Lord, in the moments of excitement, in the moments of discouragement, I pray that they would be enamored and captured by your intrinsic worth and your Beautiful majesty. Lord, would you um, grant them great favor, um, give them great relational capital. Lord, help them to be bold with the gospel and kind in word and in deed. Lord, would you bless this church effort? Lord, would you show us how we could help in any way, how we could support them in prayer or through our hands and feet? Lord, would you um, use um, us so that your glory um, could return back to you? And we'll give you all the glory. We won't take any credit for it. We won't go seeking it. We won't, um, in name, uh, try to amp up or heighten our sense of worth, our logo, our ministry. Pro- what Lord, to you alone be all glory and honor and praise. Would you do that? Thank you for their willingness to go. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. Hey, afterwards, would you meet this couple and, um, and talk to them and get to know them a little bit? Would you stay three to four hours afterwards? <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, brother. Yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah, let's give them a hand. All right, one more example. One more example. You can't give all those examples without holding up the beauty of Jesus Christ. Who while we were yet sinners, that means while we were still sinning, that He, catch this, this is like me trying to really just tie a nice bow around it, but not in a superficial way, but in a a theological connecting way, that He offered up His body on the cross for you and I, that we might know you, that we might know him. And he gave of himself. He came to this world not to like create this like massive um, uh, glory hound experience of look at me. He said, no, I I, I came not to to be served, but I came to serve. And I'm going to give my life as a ransom for many. And so ultimately, the Count Zinzendorf guy—he should, yes, motivate you. The guys who sold themselves into slavery—wow, that's how—that's a way to. The the woman who is on the couch, Susanna Spurgeon, the guy who's sharing his faith at work, the student who prayed for—that should all just like excite you to go. Yes, this thing called living for God is doable, and I want to glorify God with my life. But what fuels you ultimately is when you fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and you go, he, he, he's my example, and I want to follow him. I want to follow him. And those others, those are great clouds of witnesses, but I want to be like Christ this week. Church, let's pray, and let's ask God to give us the desire to glorify him. And then when we respond to Him and worship and worship to Him, once you come back up, we're going to just ask the Lord: Lord, would You grant us the desire, grant us the ability, um, open doors for us that we may return Your glory back to Yourself. So let's pray together. And so, Father, we just we just imagine or picture You now on Your throne. With your robe filling the temple high and lifted up, the angels shouting to one another about your holiness and how it's filling the earth. And our ultimate question today is Lord, would you use us in that process? Would you teach me how to glorify yourself? Lord, would you help me get out of the way? In my friendships, in my conversations, in my parenting. Lord, help me to put down the phone and to engage with my kids. To engage with others around me. To engage with the mom or dad at the gymnastics practice. Because your glory is at stake. Would you be glorified in our church? So let's respond to the Lord and worship. And if you um, want to ask for prayer at any moment, you can come to the sides. Or if, you, if the Lord lays a person on your heart, just feel the freedom to even pursue them across the aisle. We'll be singing and praying. We'll close our time.